fortunes of Zion, we were like those in a dream. The Lord has done great things for us. Those who sow in tears, as Flavel did, and as some of you are, shall reap with shouts of joy. Or even, how should I think when this world, I thought we were going to have more freedoms. The Reformation happened. Preaching, we're allowed to preach. Look at justification by faith alone. Wow, this is great. And now we're not allowed to even proclaim the word of God. What is happening to our country? He would be saying in 1660, let's say. How about Romans 13? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then... Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I know without a doubt, too, today's passage from Galatians chapter 6 would be an encouragement to him as well. So the question we have is, 350 years after John Flavel, how are we encouraged? How are we challenged as we see God's goodness and also as we see God's expectations upon us? Our passage today really pushes that the beliefs, the actions, the thoughts, and the words that we plant, good or bad, will bring a harvest. I'll read that one more time. The beliefs, the actions, the thoughts, and the words we plant, good or bad, will bring a harvest. If I put a bull in with my cows, I expect baby calves in 283 days. I don't expect to go out there and see a colt laying next to a cow and say, huh, Something weird happened. I don't expect to see baby lambs next to those cows. I expect to see a calf coming from that cow. And in this passage on sowing and reaping and how we are to think within the context of sowing and reaping, that's what God is pushing. And truly, that should change my day. It should change the the decisions that I make. And it should centrally affect the hope in which I hope. So we have three points today, the first one being do not be deceived. The second one being, do not lose heart. And the third one being, do good to everyone in this short passage. So first of all, let's look in chapter 6 of Galatians at verse 7, and we read, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate being deceived. If someone wants to do something that would really frustrate me, trying to deceive me or trick me or trying to sneak something by me is something that I really, really do not appreciate. And I think for most of us, that is probably the case. When the government makes a promise and says this or that and goes back on that, it can drive you crazy. If a coworker lies to you or if your boss tells you something that isn't really the case, makes us angry. If you have a college-age son or daughter and they're deceiving you with this or that, we can think, why is this? This cannot be. This is. There's nothing right about this. We hate being deceived. But what is the assumption in Galatians chapter 6? Well, the assumption is that many are deceived. The assumption is what? That by thinking we can get away with something, that sowing and reaping isn't really true, that we are truly in our deception, in our seemingly deception of God, like we can truly do that, we're truly mocking him. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. There really is sowing and reaping. And that idea of mocking is really turning your nose up at God, saying, I can do whatever I want to do. There's nothing you can do about it. And we can see that in 1 Samuel 
as Pastor Mark preached weeks back, when Goliath is at the Valley of Elah and he says, I defy the armies of Israel. He's, he's mocking God. We can think of Acts chapter 12. Herod's there and he's in this gold clothing and, and he's on the stage and he's receiving adoration from the Jews. And they say, behold a God. And what does Herod say? Absolutely not. You need to worship the God of the universe. No, he received that worship. And what does the Bible tell us that happened? He was immediately eaten by worms and died on the stage in front of a bunch of people. A pretty clear example of mocking God. And for you, you might be thinking of people at work or school who do some maybe crass outward mocking of God or Christianity or or whatnot. But in this section, it's a little bit different because it's not written to unbelievers per se. It starts off chapter 6 with brothers. So this is written to believers saying, hey, believers, hey, followers of Jesus, are we really following Jesus? So in, in what ways may we be tempted to mock? Well, we might be tempted to think that God is little. We might be tempted to think that he doesn't see. Maybe that I can live however I want. That I get to make up my own version of whatever following Jesus means to me, potentially. Maybe we think we can just go along with cultural norms. Whatever the case might be, Paul is setting up in Galatians right here that we are mocking Almighty God and we say, I get to go outside of what you have given about out of what you have planned. And he gives us an illustration from natural law, sowing and harvesting with that. He says, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So from natural law, if we put beans in the ground, we're going to get beans. If we put corn seed in the ground, we're going to get corn. No farmer ever went out and planted 80 acres of corn and came back and said, huh, weird, beans came up, strange. That kind of thinking cannot be, right? And he says, this is the way things work. I am the creator God. This is natural law. It is inescapable. This is what I have planned. And the question is, what are we planting in our lives? Are we sowing to the flesh or are we sowing to the spirit? It says in verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So what is it setting up there? It's saying you could sow to the flesh or you could sow to the Spirit, but you can't sow to both of them. You're going to be feeding one or you're going to be feeding the other. Which one will you choose? And and just to be clear, when we talk about flesh, we're not really just talking about you know, the the meat on your arm or your leg or whatever. Flesh is really, most of the time in Scripture, is affections and desires that are contrary to God. Things that we are tempted to say, this is what I want, this is what I need, this is what I really have to have. And oftentimes those are things that God says, hey, for your goodness, because I'm your loving Father, I don't want you to have that. That is not best for my children. And humanly, we can think, oh, Oh, I need that. So look with me in chapter 5. I think this will kind of, um, several of these verses in chapter 5 will kind of help our understanding of what does it mean to sow to the flesh and what does it mean to sow to the Spirit. So what does it mean to sow to the flesh? Um, chapter 5, verse uh, 19. 
He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so what were you thinking when you were reading this, when we were reading these verses right here? Probably you were looking through there and you were thinking at least some of those, man, I've never done that. Whoa, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any part of that. I mean, sorcery, I, I know we have diversity in this group, but for many you might say, you know, I've never tried the sorcery thing. Or maybe even some of these other things you might think, well, I've certainly never done that. I don't think I've done this and I don't want to do that one. And that's, that's typical of how we think. But in fairness to a list, we have to say, where is my heart? We have things like idolatry. Man, I, I want to be on the throne. I want to decide what's best for me. I want the timing of things to work out in the way that works out for me. And I, I don't want to deal with these other things. What do I really want? I want that on the throne. That's a temptation I have. We go impurity. We look at strife or jealousy or divisions. Who of us does not at times say, why about this and why about that and how come they get this? And we all do it. These lists aren't so we can go through and say, wow, I I didn't do these three things. I'm doing pretty well at saying we are guilty people. We are people that need to be terrified of sin. We need to run from sin and run to the one that saves sinners. Not trying to parse through and thinking, well, I, I haven't done that one, and so I'm pretty good. I haven't done that one, so I'm pretty good. No, I need to run to the one that saves sinners. That's what we need. Because verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The sinless just continue on and on and on. And indulging in this is sowing to the flesh, planting and fertilizing and cultivating the flesh. Well, conversely, how does one sow to the Spirit? Look at chapter 5, verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. We'll look at that in just a little bit. It says, okay, the Spirit is against the flesh, and the flesh is against the Spirit, and they're they're butting heads, if you will. And this one wants this, and this one wants this, and Paul is setting up here, who are you going to allow to win? Might be saying it this way, what are you feeding? And so just as way of illustration, if we're feeding the flesh, we have this fleshly list we had earlier of, of all these different sins. If we could picture the flesh as this little stool that's right there. And let's let's use um, anger as an example. We'll just use that one. And so you struggle with anger. And I'm angry about this and I'm upset about this. And I do really well as long as nobody else offends me or does anything that bothers me, right? People that struggle with anger, right? And But we're feeding it. How dare that guy did this? How dare this person did that? And if you will, it's like that stool grows. And it grows, grows as big as the piano right there. And you're struggling with anger even more. And it grows even bigger. And it becomes as big as this stage. And it gets so you're angrier and angrier and angrier. Well, what's going on here? You're feeding the flesh. 
and it's growing in its power. The flip side of that, you're feeding the Spirit. We have this beautiful list in the Scripture right here. We've got 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's saying, hey, what are you feeding? Instead of feeding the flesh, let it grow and grow and grow. If we're feeding the Spirit, the Spirit is going to be growing. Not that this Holy Spirit changes the indwelling Holy Spirit in our life. We're not saying that. But the influence on our life. If we are growing in love for another person, and we are actively working at it by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to find yourself loving someone even when they do unlovely things to you. You're going to find and look for peace in a situation that does not normally get peace. And just as the the flesh and it's almost like a monster is kind of growing, the work of the Spirit in your life can be growing by the power of the Holy Spirit. How can this be? It's because of Jesus Christ. John Knox has a quote. Uh, John Knox was a reformer, and he was a pretty tough dude. Actually, there was another reformer whose last name was Wishart, who John Knox was kind of his bodyguard and then a teacher. Um, and then John Knox kind of became uh, the, the one that's much more famous. But he says this when talking about the battle. He says, I know how hard the battle between the flesh and the spirit under the heavy cross of affliction is. There is no worldly defense, but present death doth appear. He's basically saying, you're going to fight it till you die. He said, there's, there's nothing in this earth that can make you, enable you to fight against the flesh. Nothing in this world, recognizing in the bigger quote, but the Holy Spirit and his goodness in working in and through a believer's life, feeding the monster or starving the monster. And I, and I do want to push us as we're going through this. In no way is this, uh, okay, I'm going to do a little bit better. I'm going to work a little bit harder. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little more active and, and God will like me more. I'm going to, I'm going to earn myself in a good place with God. Certainly that is not the case. Um, chapter five, verse 18 had that phrase, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So those who are led by the spirit are not righteous with God because of doing things. They're righteous with God because of Jesus Christ. We could look at several places in Galatians chapter 3. If you want to flip a page over there, um, Paul says in verse 2, uh, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? By hearing with faith. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, is this in vain what you've done? He says in verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Quoting from the ideas from Genesis and from Habakkuk and from um, Hebrews as well. And then when we're thinking about salvation, what does it say in chapter 5, verse 4? It says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, 
We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So I'm sure we have all kinds of different temptations in this room. We have people who have, who have been in church for a long time. We have people that have, maybe this is your first time ever in a church building, or maybe, are, and everywhere in between. And we have some people in here that are much more naturally, I feel freedom to do lots of things. We have other people in here, I'm sure, that feel guilty over every little thing that they can think of. So we have all these different personalities in here, but whatever your natural inclination, this passage is pushing us, you can't earn it. And one of the things we need to be very careful for in talking about sowing and reaping, the human tendency is to think, I'm sowing pretty good, or I'm sowing better than that guy, or I'm going to just sow a little bit better and God's going to like me. And over and over in Galatians, he's reminding us, within this context of sowing and reaping, you can't earn the sowing yourself. You can't earn the reaping yourself. It is the the work of God. But once you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he's saying, sowing and reaping, fight sin and look to Jesus. Fight those sinless and, and try to evidence the fruit of the Spirit. Not to earn your way in good with God, but as a gift back to him. He loves you. You love him. It's a gift back to him. That's this idea of sowing and reaping. So the question for every person in here is, what are we planning on harvesting? Heaven or hell? Christ or Satan? Sorrow or joy? Do not be deceived. Our second point, do not lose heart. We're back in chapter 6. And it says, and let us not grow weary. Some of your translations might say, do not lose heart, but... Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. Now, we've got different backgrounds in here. I'll tell you this, farming's pretty hard work. I enjoy it. There's few things in this earth I enjoy more than doing some farm stuff with my family. Uh, I really, really enjoy it, but it's really, really hard work. And it's the kind of thing that you can't just take off. If I decided, you know what, this next week, I really don't want to check any of the water for the cattle. Well, they're going to die. Or, you know what, this winter, it's kind of chilly. I don't really want to put out hay. You know, twice a week I put out round bales of hay. I think I'm going to take a winter off. What's going to happen there? Everything's going to die. And underneath natural law, there's like actions and consequences, thinking and consequences. And they're, they're inescapable. This is what's going to happen. He says, do not lose heart. Even though things might be really, really hard in this world, And it's easy to get discouraged. What are the kind of things that discourage you? I'd like you just to think for yourself for a second. What are the kind of things that wear you down right now? I mean, it might be health problems or financial issues. It might be wars that seemingly never end, and they don't. It might be that person you're trying to share Christ with, and they don't seem to care. At times, we can echo David and and Jeremiah And Job, because they all say roughly the same thing. Why do the wicked prosper? Why are things so hard? At times we're saying the same thing. Jesus in John 16 says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So I would encourage you, get good friends. Be faithful in your local church. Spend time alone with God every day. 
get rest, live and minister in God's strength, be reminded of his goodness. And I think uh, uh, from Isaiah, I'd like to read a short passage there. And you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, or you can just listen as I read. But in Isaiah 40, there's there's a few different kind of verses in there in a cycle of, and here's things that are really rough, but oh wait, here's how good God is. Here's things that are rough, oh wait, here's how good God is. And certainly in Isaiah 40, um, I'll just read 28 through 31. It's kind of that thinking. 27 is kind of the low point of the chapter. He's like, um, hey, Israel, we have no chance. Why do we even talk? Um, my right or my my way or my cause, my purpose is uh, is being disregarded by God. It's like th- things are, are this hard for me. I'm so discouraged. I don't know what's going on. Am I not going in the right direction? Things are going so poorly. But what is God like? That's what the author says. Hey, what is God like? And these famous verses starting in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's a creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no strength, has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Brother, sister, do not lose heart. Some incentive that we have, a harvest is coming. It says at the end of verse 9, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. But then in due season can kind of get us a little bit, can't it? Because we want it now. And if we if we can't have the reaping now, we at least want to know exactly when the reaping will be. How long will the pain continue? How long will the heartache be? Will I get answers on this or on that? And none of us knows. In due season, in God's perfect timing, he will give us, honor us with with what we do not deserve in his goodness. But it's in his timing and in his good hand. If you have a farm or a garden or even a pot of flowers on your back deck, uh, why do you do it? Why do you put in the effort? Why do you put the dirt back in when your cat digs it out? Why do you water it? Why do you not forget it? Why do you put it in the shade? Why, why do you do all those things? Because you've read about or experienced a harvest in the past. That one tomato plant from two years ago had some delicious tomatoes. You plucked them off there and you could eat them right away and it tasted like nothing you could get from a store. You had a harvest that was remarkable. Maybe you grow flowers and you see those flowers there and say, wow, the beauty of that. I get some harvest. I get some reward. But sometimes it takes a long time. You know, some tomatoes, you can get a little plant and two months later, you're you're getting tomatoes from it. Oftentimes the harvest from our good Heavenly Father takes a lot more time. Some of that harvest is not until eternity. But do not lose heart. Do not be deceived. Our God is good. And the third point, verse number 10, do good to everyone. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, so when we get the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially 
to those who are of the household of faith. That so then is there. It's basically saying, okay, since all this previous stuff is true, brothers, as I've, as I've started off in the, in the letter, since all of this is true, what does that look like in your life? What should we do? Well, centrally, we should do good to everyone, centrally to our fellow believers, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why we as pastors and leaders of the church, we do all kinds of things to, to help us to be closer. That's why we do church directories. That's why we have fellowship meals. You know how much work it is by some people to do a fellowship meal? It is a ton. That's why we do community groups and we have outreach things and we have, you know, Bible studies and prayer times. Why do we do all of this? We want to know each other so that you can really know the person over there and really know the person over there and really pray for the lady over there. We really do want that. Coming up over the next eight weeks this summer, we have summer in the Psalms on Wednesday nights. So we have a meal from 515 to 6, and we have the a prayer time in the Psalms from 6 to 645. That's not very long. For many of us, we'll think, well, I've got stuff going on, but I would encourage you to come. It's 45 minutes. It'll be a little bit of a teaching time that's going to be interactive so that your kids will be fine. We're going to sing a few songs of worship together. And we're going to pray over that psalm for about 20 or 25 minutes. But we want people to come, not so that we can check it off and say, hey, we had this many people come to this or that. But we want God's people to be together and praying together and encouraging one another. And you know, corporate prayer isn't learned by reading a book. If you want your kids to learn to do corporate prayer, prayer in a group, they learn by watching and participating. We, we want that closeness. We have the Lord's table tonight. Now, centrally, we have the Lord's table because it was commanded by our Savior, right? And we're remembering and celebrating what he did. But we have some sideline to that as well. We have the new members are going to be joining the church tonight. So all the new members that are all set to join tonight at 5 o'clock. And Andrew Rupert from from Corinth Baptist in McQuady is going to be preaching a short message. We're going to be partaking of the Lord's table. We're welcoming new members into our midst. We're hearing testimonies and prayer for each other. We want believers to be close, to really care and really know each other. Work at that. I work at that. Work at that. Keep trying. If you're a really shy person, keep trying. Keep saying hi to people. Ask that person for the fourth time, what's your name again? Do it. Because we need that as brothers and sisters in Christ. But also the do good to everyone is to the orphan, to the widow, to the sojourner in your midst or the foreigner in your midst, depending on your translation. What do we need to do? We need to do good to and live out that Matthew 25. That's a pretty serious list in Matthew 25. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, hospitality to strangers, clothing the naked, care for the sick, visiting prisoners. And don't wait for others to do it. You and me. It's one of the reasons why we do the Bless the Block VBS. We're going to have the video next week. Uh, weren't able to do it today. But for those of you, and there were dozens and dozens and dozens of you that helped out, whether it's bringing food or security or all the different things. For most of us there, it's a little chaotic. Is that fair, Justin? Now, Justin and Rebecca feel no chaos in it, but I mean, there is kids and stuff and people going this way and in and out, and thankfully there's a fence around it, And there, but 
it's a little chaotic for some of us. Why do we do it? We want to care for other people. We want the name of Christ to be named throughout the entire world. We want to find new brothers and sisters, friends that we never had before, that we meet in another part of town potentially, and we want people to come to Christ, and we want us to show Christ's love. We want to have, I'm standing there on the last night, and a little five-year-old girl with braids all over the place, the prettiest hair, five years old, walks up to me, grabs my hand and says, can I hold your hand? Because I don't know you yet. And like a thousand things are going through my head. One, almost 50-year-old people don't hold hands with little girls that aren't their own. And if she didn't know me, why is she grabbing my hand? And I feel like I haven't held a little kid's hand in a lot of years because my kids are getting older. And I said, oh, sure. And let's walk up to Beth LaCour, who's 15 feet away. And I, I handed this little girl off to Beth. And the little girl says to Beth LaCour, and I'm paraphrasing this, something about Jesus, there's music going on, she says something like, I'm, I'm learning about, trying to figure out about Jesus or something by watching TikTok videos. And Beth says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And got to share the gospel with a little five-year-old girl that I don't know her name. I don't know if I will ever see her again. And by the grace of God, may she come to Christ someday. But God gives these opportunities. Why? I'm sure, Beth probably doesn't like me saying this, but I'm sure Beth had other things to do that night. She's got like 50 kids, she works a job, her husband's busy, there's lots of stuff going on. But Beth came night after night after night just to love on a bunch of kids, and God allowed her to share the gospel. Living that Matthew 25, God does some good things there, doing good to all. Centrally, brothers and sisters in Christ, but out in the world. And we have opportunities. And so many in this group are doing things with different people groups all over the place. And some in this room are doing it with different people groups all over the world. And we praise the Lord for that as well. So the question I leave us with, what kind of seed am I sowing? Am I being deceived? Am I mocking God? Am I losing heart and neglecting my planting? Am I doing good to all? John Flavel died um, from, he was paralyzed and he was... Um, his third wife had passed away. Um, his church wasn't able to care for him much because they lived quite a distance away. John Flavel dies. Um, fast forward a whole bunch of years. We're in the mid, uh, mid-1700s. There's a guy named Luke Short dies. So we got two dead guys, okay? Luke Short dies. Luke Short dies in Virginia. He's 106 years old, okay? On his um, gravestone, it says this. Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. So Luke Short came to Christ when he was 103 years old in the 1750s. Okay, He told people, I heard of Jesus decades ago. I heard of Jesus when I was a teenager. I heard of Jesus when I used to live in England. And this guy preached a sermon... And his sermon was from 1 Corinthians 16. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. So if anyone doesn't love Jesus, let him be cursed. And Luke Short heard that sermon in England in the mid-1600s, I guess 1670 or something like that. And who preached that message? It was John Flavel. He told people, I heard this Flavel guy decades and decades and decades ago. Flavel had been dead 60 years. He heard that sermon and it had been bugging him his whole life. 
Because he went to church some, Luke Short did, but he had not trusted in Christ. He did not love Christ. And at 103, comes to Christ. John Flavel did not get to see the reaping, but he sowed and let God give the increase. And I want to encourage you in here today, believer, I don't know what you're sowing. I know there are people you're trying to share Christ with, and some of them are not listening. And you might think, I've witnessed and witnessed and witnessed, and I haven't seen God working. Trust him. Keep sharing. Pray. Let him do his good good work. And he does. Do we always get to see it? No. John Flavel in heaven, Luke Short in heaven, probably had no idea. He was just a guy in the church service. God does his good work. Sowing and reaping abundant mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your abundance. We confess to you our weakness. We confess to you how we often doubt. Might say, well, this person would never believe. Or, or this person's so aggressive, I don't want to say. Or, or, or nothing good is coming of what I'm doing here. Maybe there's a teenager or a young person out here saying, hey, I've been trying to follow Christ and and uh, things aren't going that well in my life. Lord, we want instant rewards, instant gratification. Lord, may the unbeliever in here say, I want to trust in the one. I cannot sow enough, but he does the work for me. And I'm trusting in him by faith. And for the believers in here, when we think of the sowing and reaping and really question question some of the things in our own life that we're doing or thinking or saying, and that we would find joy in your abundant grace as you give a harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.